Hey church, we are in the middle of our I Am series where we're really just talking about identity in Christ. But who is Jesus? What does it mean when we say we're here to discover identity, our identity in Christ and we want to empower you in your identity in Christ? What is identity in Christ? And so we've been taking just a, a dive into these, these lesser known and some, some known, but some lesser known scripture passages in order to see Jesus in a new light, in a fresh way, in order to find some things out about Jesus that we may not have known about before. And today, uh, our topic is, I am dangerous. You're like, whoa, that's that's weird. Like dangerous. Like is is God dangerous? Is is Jesus dangerous? I thought Jesus was was loving and compassionate and kind and gentle and meek and humble. And yes, all those things are true. But he's also dangerous. And if you if you read the the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament, they saw God this way. And for some some reason we've lost this along the way, but they knew if they saw God, uh, if anyone saw God, that meant death. They knew that God wasn't a person to mess around with. And we've created, especially in the West, we've distanced ourselves from, I think it's a byproduct of our culture. We've distanced ourselves from death. I, I, you know, in the, in the West, especially North America, it's probably the, uh, America and Canada, probably the only countries where, where death is an option. Right. It's, it's like it's like we've distanced ourselves from that, from consequences, from from sicknesses. And I know we're well, we're in this covid world now. But before that, it was like, oh, Ebola is over there. Oh, typhoid is over there. Oh, smallpox. We eradicated that. Oh, um, yellow fever, dang fever, you know, all that's over there. We're good over here. Right. And and um, and so we've we've uh, distanced ourselves a lot from things. And we've, I think we've, we've done that uh, to the detriment of how we view the Lord and how we view God. And, and we've softened him in places a bit where, where maybe he shouldn't be. Because when we read the gospels, especially some of the passages we've already been through, like with the one with the Samaritan woman that, that we talked about, uh, or some that we're going to talk about in August, it's like, whoa, that's not the Jesus I, I, I know. Or that's not, that seems out of character for him. Or um, I've never heard that spoken about before. And I'm like, well, no, this is very much in character for Jesus. So here we're dealing with a passage that you read earlier that is very enigmatic. It's like, what, what is happening here? This passage is actually Jesus's only miracle of destruction where he destroys something and it's miraculous it's like whoa that's those things don't seem to go together for us right so what is really happening here because when you read this passage it's like why did jesus destroy that tree he could have just caused fruit to come out of it right he's done that before we've seen that in genesis 1 he we know he can do that so why didn't that happen so let's let's read this one more time and then we'll talk about it. So starting in verse 12 of, of chapter 11 in the book of Mark, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he, Jesus, was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. 
When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And Jesus, he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And that's it. So what does this mean? Again, Jesus' only miracle of destruction, the, the question begs itself, that begs itself is, why didn't he just make figs appear? Well, this entire fig tree segment is an illustration of judgment and, and the hypocrisy of Israel. So it's an illustration of judgment on Israel for their hypocrisy. You know, back in Mark chapter 7, Jesus, Jesus says this in verses 6 through 7. He says, Isaiah prophesied this. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So they speak like they love me, but I know in their heart that they don't. In vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines, teaching, sorry, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So he sees their hearts and he says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Right? So and he's, he's saying, you're holding on to these traditions and, and you're, you're taking those as the commandment of God, these traditions of men, and you're placing them with the, and you're replacing the, the commandments of God with those. And, uh, and you're, you say you love me, but your heart is, is not there. It's not in it. And so that's a picture of Israel leading up to this. And, and here in this passage, you see here as Jesus walks on in verse 13, he sees this fig tree in the distance and Mark says it's in leaf. So that's significant because the tree is fully leafed out. But what's also significant is he says it was not the season for figs. So you're like, well, if it's not the season, why did... Jesus expect this tree to have figs on it, and when it didn't, he destroyed it. It seems like it seems it seems like that's a little bit harsh. That's uh, a bit of uh, overkill, and and so why why is this? Well, one, it's fully leafed out, so it should have figs. It should. This tree bloomed early. Okay, so it's not the season for fig trees to bloom. Now this tree, this tree bloomed early, and so it should have figs. So that's one thing. Two, fig trees in the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures represent the nation of Israel. So you can look at Hosea, you can look at Nahum, where the people of Israel are described as a fig tree. Uh, Micah 7 talks about there's no first ripe fig that my soul desires, um, that God is talking there. Jeremiah 8, there are no figs on the tree. Isaiah 26, Israel shall blossom and fill the whole world with fruit. That is a prophecy uh, that, that Israel shall do this. Hosea, uh, yeah, and then Hosea 9 is they, they shall bear no fruit because of their apostasy. So against Israel. And then Jeremiah 29 is is they will be like vile figs. Like people won't want to eat them. You can't eat them because they're rottenness. And so those are just a, a sampling of the passages in the Old Testament that talk about Israel as a fig tree. And 
you know, with these prophecies saying they will produce fruit, and then some saying, ah, they've apostatized, they've turned away from the faith, they've rejected God, they will not produce fruit. But they were supposed to produce fruit for the entire world. That was their mandate. You can trace that all the way back to Genesis. You can trace it all the way back to Genesis 12, even 3, and, and see that God was raising up a people to do this. And in Genesis 12, he gives this covenant to Abraham to say, you will bless the nations. You will be a light to the world. You'll be a light to the nations. And through you, all the world will be blessed. And they'll come, they'll come through you. So that is their heritage. That is their destiny. That is the legacy that they're supposed to leave. And here you have a fig tree that has blossomed early. Just like the nation of Israel. God said, you are my people. I am your God. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people in my own possession. And I'm going to, I'm going to, um, take care of you like a, like a mother hen gathers, gathers its chicks under its wing. I'm going to care for you and teach you like a father teaches his son. And I'm going to, and I'm going to be there for you and raise you up so that you can be the vehicle of salvation to the rest of humanity, to the rest of the world. And yet, they didn't do that. They didn't produce fruit. Because Jesus has spent almost his entire ministry ministering and serving the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And they still want to murder him. They still haven't recognized him as God. And they say they worship God, but they don't recognize him as, as that God. Not even his closest disciples do yet. The people who've been living with him, his, his best friends, they don't even recognize him as that yet. And now Jesus is just a few days away from the cross. He's a few days away. He's already entered Jerusalem triumphantly in, in the beginning of chapter 11 uh, on the way to the cross. He's in the Passion Week, in the week of suffering. He's in it. He knows what's coming. The cross is coming. And they still don't recognize him for who he is. This passage of, of the fig tree is bookended by uh, Jesus' triumphal entry and then the cleansing of the temple. And where Jesus goes in the temple, and he says, you've made my father's house a house of thieves and robbers when it's supposed to be a house of prayer. So he turns over the, 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 the change tables. And, and then... That cleansing the temple is bookended by Jesus cursing the fig tree and the fig tree withering up, the disciples seeing it the next day and saying, whoa, you did a number on that fig tree. And, and then the entire, that entire passage is you have Jesus' triumphal entry on one end. On the other end, you have the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the ones who, who say they know God, the ones who are trying to, who are actually leading the people to know God, saying, we don't know who you are. We don't recognize your authority as coming from God. We reject you. Like that's that's happening. So you have the people saying, "Hosanna in the highest! You're our king." Um, really not knowing what they're saying because then they're rejecting him right at the other end of the chapter. And so that is what's happening here. So all this is linked together to have the fig tree in the middle, right? So you have bookend, bookend. This cursing the fig tree in the middle, and it shows the hypocrisy of the people of Israel. One day, you're our king, Hosanna in the highest. Over here, next day, we hate you. We're going to crucify you. We reject your authority. Who are you? You're not from God. 
Like that's that's what's going on here. And so this this little segment here is a it's a prophetic picture of the judgment of Israel. In Luke chapter 13, there's another fig tree parable that's different. This isn't a parable. This actually happened. Jesus tells a story, a parable where where the fig tree represents Israel and the fig tree had a chance. And God actually is like, hey, this hasn't produced fruit in three years. And the owner, the the owner of the tree, or or sorry, someone in the story, I can't remember now. Actually, we can just look it up. Um, the they they say, oh no, give it one more year. Give it, let's let's give it one more year. Uh, so a man had a fig tree planted in the vineyard. Yeah, and the vine dresser can't, comes, says, give it one more year, and let's put some fertilizer around it. So see, and then we'll see if it bears fruit in the next year. And so, and and then it just never happened. Is Israel? Israel struggled as a whole, as a nation, or they haven't produced the fruit. They haven't been that light that God wanted them to be. Now, I'm talking about as a whole, right? Because, and this is significant because here in verse 14, he says, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. This tree, this tree that represents the nation of Israel, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. That's a strong pronouncement. That's, that's a prophetic pronouncement, a prophetic picture of the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, the occupation of the land, and and, and the eschatological, the end time, the future judgment to come. Because in Mark 13, just two chapters later, Jesus says, hey, remember that fig tree lesson? Yeah, that's about the end times too. Like that, like, so that's a sign of the times. And 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 here they've just hailed him as king. It's a it's a it's a fulfillment of prophecy out of Zechariah 9:9. He's ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey, that's fulfilling prophecy. He's trying to usher in a new kingdom, and they're missing it. They've completely missed it. And we on this side of history look back and we're like, oh man, how did they do that? They had all this. There's and and yeah, it's it, it is like, yeah, how do they do that? They had all this. God was with them. Uh, but how much are we like that? How much are we missing what God is doing right now and ushering in a new thing? God's making all things new, right? And so many of you are still hanging on to the old. You're hanging on to the old traditions. You're hanging on to the traditions of man. You're hanging on to, on to what the church used to be. You're hanging on to what, what society used to be. You're hanging on to what your family used to be. You're hanging on to that past relationship. You're hanging, like, and God's doing a new thing and you're missing it. He's trying to lead you into the abundant life and you're missing it. He's trying to have something brand new for you. Have a new wineskin and you're missing it. And we look at them, we're like, Idiots, they missed it. How did they miss it? And we're just like them. And he curses this fig tree. He says, you will not produce fruit again. And here's the real hypocrisy of it. The tree not only failed to produce fruit, but it actually gave off the impression that it should have fruit. Jesus sees it from a distance. He's like, oh, there's going to be fruit over there. It, it's, it's like it tricked him. He was bamboozled, right? Like he's like, oh, it has fruit. Oh, 
It has no fruit. And Jesus' hunger is, is a, it can be a representative hunger of, of the people in darkness. So, like, we're hungry, we need light, and we're not giving it. We're not giving the light, we're not producing fruit. And he goes up there, and he's like, you gave off the fig tree, you gave off the impression. Israel, you gave off the impression. Church, you gave off the impression that you had the words of life. That you, that you were in bloom, that you were in season, that you should have fruit, good fruit, good figs on your, on your branches. Cause the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that's planted and then becomes a huge tree that provides shade and shelter and fruit. And you had none. You didn't have anything for me. You did not satisfy anyone's hunger. You just left them there to starve to death. Guys, Jesus is dangerous. Like he's, everyone around him right now is an Israelite. What do you think they're thinking? They're like, oh shoot. Like, what is, what's happening? What's happening here? What about us? And guys, we are not excused from this because we're not Israelites. We're not Jewish. The OT, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, it's talked all about Israel bearing this fruit for the nations and they didn't, they didn't do much. Jesus has talked about this with his 12 apostles and though, and, and, and with the entire nation, those 12 apostles, well, 11 of them, plus another one, plus the other disciples like Mary Magdalene and, um, Mary Jesus' mother and, uh, Joanna, like these, these ones, these women who are following him too, and who knows, nameless other disciples like, like Justice and Matthias, right? Um, they've come out of this. Paul has come out of this. Timothy's come out of this, right? Uh, Barnabas, uh, the, the, they've come out of this and, uh, and they are now producing fruit, but it's just a remnant. It's just a segment. It's not the nation. Jesus has, has essentially said, nation, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Like, like as, as a whole, I'm like, ooh, I, I'm not sure what that actually means, practically speaking. But that, that's a really harsh, hard, dangerous statement that Jesus makes. And now the gospel has come to the Gentiles, us, come to the church. We become the church. We become the bride of Christ. The, the Gentiles have been grafted in. Ah, there's so much theology here. <laughs> We've been a branch that's been grafted in, a tree that's been grafted in to grow with, with a new tree. I can't go into all that. But in fact, now the New Testament, the rest of the scriptures here bears down on the fact that we as the new people of God, as the church who's been grafted in as the Gentiles, we are supposed to be a fruit producing, sowing, reaping, harvesting, fruit seeking people. And are we? Has that happened in the church, in our country, in our city? I'd say it, we've seen pieces of it here and there. We've seen pockets of it. We've seen sprinklings of it. But as a whole, we're in the same boat the Israelites were in. 
Which is why as our church, for our church, we've made so many drastic changes in order to do this. And guys, people don't like it. People didn't like it when Jesus was trying to do a new wineskin. They crucified him for it, actually. And only a remnant survived and gave life to the rest of the world. But a seed had to fall to the ground and die in order to sprout up new life and produce fruit. That's a picture of us as Christians. That's a picture of us as the church. That's a picture of Trinity life as a church. And the good news is here that this is all God's work. We just have to join it. God does this work. We just got to wake up, open our eyes, and join his work. You know, what's, what's interesting about this passage, you know, we're talking about I am dangerous, right? It's just before this, Jesus is healing the outcasts. He's playing with the kids. But it becomes clear that Jesus does not mess around with his mission. He doesn't mess around with it. He says, I came here to do this thing. You're here. Your destiny, Israel, is this. And you haven't fulfilled it. I gave you chances. We relented. And we fertilized you. And you sprouted early. And you still didn't produce fruit. Guys, you're either committed to the king or you're not. You're either in the kingdom or you're out. You've either given your life, your entire life to Jesus, or you haven't. There's no in-between. Jesus says you're either producing good fruit or you're not. You're, You're either with us or you're against us. He's pretty dangerous in those statements. Dangerous, especially in our culture, because we're all about inclusivity and including everybody. And and Jesus is very exclusive on this. We as a church, as a people, uh, we we want everybody to come into the kingdom. So Jesus is inclusive in that way. But he's like, there's only one way to do it. I am the way, he says. I am the truth. I am the life, he says. No man comes to the Father except through me, he says. And so he's very exclusive in that way. The way is narrow. The path is narrow. You've either, you're either committed to him or you're not. You either devoted your life to him or you haven't. You've either, you're either in that kingdom pathway or you're not. There's a, there's a really sweet passage. You've probably heard of this. If, uh, it's probably the only passage or one of the only you've heard of in, in the Chronicles of Narnia. If you haven't read it, um, and if you haven't read it, read those books, you should go read them. They are children's stories written for adults, which people look at them, they think they're kids' books, uh, but they're really adult books. Um, uh, now they're, they're kid books too, but when I read them, I'm weeping. Like it's, they're so beautiful. And there's a scene right at the beginning of, of um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
towards the beginning. And the kids have just entered Narnia and uh, Susan is there at Mr. Beaver's house. And Mr. Beaver is saying, hey, you got to meet Aslan. He wants to meet you guys. And he's like, Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. And Susan's like, oh, I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I'd be nervous meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver kind of laughs and chuckles. He's like, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And this amazing scene where Susan wants this, like, all-loving, all, all fuzzy, like, person, right? Feeling, whatever. And she thinks it's supposed to be completely safe. And he's like, no. He's dangerous. He's going to call you to do things that you don't want to do. He's going to push you forward when you don't want to go forward. He's going to say, persevere when all hope is lost. He's going to take you out of your comfort zone in order to build up in you. He's going to say, I know you doubt yourself right now, but I've given you all you need. He's going to say, take heart. Do not fear. I've overcome the world. He's going to say, I know it looks so dark, but walk by faith, not by sight. That's our Jesus. He's dangerous. He's not going to leave you in your safe place. He's not going to leave you in your comfort zone. He's not fine with the status quo. He's a risk taker. He's bold. He's brash. But he's also kind and good and gentle and long-suffering and all love. This tree, the nation of Israel, the church today, maybe you as a person, as a tree, Jesus talks about individuals as trees too bearing fruit. Do you think your leaves are actually fruit? Have you confused the leaves of the church or of your life with fruit? Unfortunately, in, in this passage in the scriptures, the nation of Israel did that. They confused being in leaf with bearing good fruit. And like I said, this had to be really frightening for the disciples because later on they walked past this fig tree and it had withered away, Mark says, to its roots. 
Like it's not like the leaves just fell off. Like the whole tree just like withered to where they could see in the ground and the roots were withered. And Peter's like, oh gosh. Like <laughs> what's happening? And Jesus, he encourages them. He reassures them with a brief reminder on prayer, on faith, and on forgiveness. Guys, the gospel transcends culture, transcends structure, transcends institution, tradition, buildings. It transcends nations and it's carried forward with prayer, with faith, with forgiveness. And this little group of disciples is the new wineskin. They're the new tree. They're the new way to the nations. They're, they're, they're the beginnings of the church. Jesus said, on, on this confession, on this Peter, on me, I will build my church. On this rock, they're the new tree. And God is building his church on the rock, on, on Christ Jesus, on hearing, on obeying. But a replanting has to occur. It's not like the nation of Israel is lost. It's not like the people of Israel are lost. Their call is irrevocable, Paul says. It's not like the church today is lost. If we, can, if we still pursue truth and pursue Jesus, we will find him. But a replanting has to occur. In the Old Testament, in Joel and Amos and Micah and Zechariah and Ezekiel, it talks about a replanting of this fig tree, of this nation, of the church. And so for Trinity Life, for us as a church in the world, but particularly in North America, this is a message for us. Are we willing to be uprooted? Are you willing to let things die? Are you willing to be taken up and replanted? Are you willing to be pruned? Are you willing to start over? Jesus does not mess around with his mission. He's dangerous. He does not stay in safety. He leaves the safe place. He's calling the church to step forward into the unknown, to walk by faith, not by sight, to, to be comfortable with uncomfortability, to be comfortable with uncertainty, with risk, with boldness, to fully depend on him. And if you want to make disciples, all of those things are necessary. And we want to help you do that. In order to do that, we need to be more like Jesus in this way. And so let's walk forward as a church together to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. And he will be with us to the end of the age. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this uh, weird prophetic picture. And I just pray that we would not be like this tree. And so open-handedly replant us, prune us, use us. 
produce your food in us, Holy Spirit, so that others can eat and taste and know that you are good. In your name, Jesus. Amen.